don't know whether to give away one of our great secrets or not. What do you think? Of course, you don't know what secret I'm talking about. We it's probably a have a whole bunch of them. It's a secret, Bob. It's a secret. That's why you don't know. And if you, and if you say it, it's no longer a secret. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Um, for 40 years, uh, I did programs that were live. Live on radio, live on television. There was no tape delay of stuff. We, well, we're uh, live right now. Well, we are live, but the audience isn't live with us. No, that but don't, 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 don't you remember all those years that uh, uh, you'd, you'd hear or see on network television, the, the, those sitcoms, and they'd say recorded live on tape in front of a studio audience? Yes, of course. Well, that's what we are. We're live on tape. Yeah. Well, you know, I used to get, uh, for the last probably decade of my broadcast career, I refused to pre-tape interviews. Yes, I'm well if, aware. If they, if they couldn't come on when I was on, to hell with them. Yeah. We'll get somebody else. Yeah. But, you know, when I was um, allowed myself to be influenced by idiot broadcast executives, not you particularly, you were influencing other broadcasters, um, I would do pre-recorded messages. And it always bothered me. Why? That it was, well, that I was, I was not being honest with the audience. The perception always was presented as if it's live. And I just refused to do that. So I would always say, you know, this conversation was uh, I talked to so and so this afternoon or this morning yeah. or last That's night? That's what you or... should. And and, and 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 from an ethical perspective, exactly in the broadcast world, yeah. That's what you should do. You should say, by the way, uh, in order to accommodate somebody's schedule, we we took the time earlier today to talk to blank. Well, and and part of it was ethics, I I, I guess, but part of it was a fear that the tape would break. <laughs> I well, just had this, I had this paranoia that, you know, we'd start into a conversation on tape uh, and, or, or, or we'd, we'd, we'd complete the interview and I'd go, okay, you know, here's so-and-so. Yeah. And we run the tape and it would go. Well, the good news is there's no tape anymore, Bob. Well, no, there, I know. There I'm, ain't no tape. But I figured that the recording would, would somehow screw up. And I'd get caught. And how embarrassing would that be? Particularly so, if you were down getting some exercise. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we tell them, is there anybody who doesn't know what getting exercise means? Well, there's, there's going to be five people, new, new subscribers to the podcast that don't know what that means. Not everybody has listened to every show you've ever done, Bob. I know what? that's hard to believe. What? <laughs> Why not? What's the matter with them? Where have you been? Well... Exercise was a euphemism for I went for a cigarette. In any event, so it used um, to be a secret that Bob smoked. Well, the uh, the management did not think the audience needed to know that or would want to know that. I, of course, didn't give a rat's ass what the audience knew or didn't know or cared about or had an opinion on. But I know you well enough to know that you loved it when you watched. Well, I'm going to date myself, Carson, and he would butt out his cigarette just before he came out of out of the break because he would have a drag. Well, every once in a while, you'd see him take a drag. That's right. That's right. And you loved it when Tom Snyder on the Tomorrow Show loved it. Th- there was smoke on the black billowing set. everywhere. <laughs> you loved that, and you you thought that well, and it, half of it was for effect. It was supposed to be the smoky room in the back and yeah, have a, have a, have a discussion. And you're all you always like things for effect, right? Well, when, when we started doing the show, it was from a tiny little studio up on Grenville Street, and the broadcast studio was basically the size of the desk and about two feet on either side. And back then, we smoked in the studio. Oh, yeah. When I started and, working in TV mobiles, guys smoked too. Yeah. You used and to then, walk out of there and reek of cigarette smoke. No, I can well imagine that. And I, <laughs> I mean, I lived through it and did it, but I can't... I. You know, as soon as they, I, I didn't get mad when the legislation came in. I got mad when the elevator got stuck and I couldn't get back in time. Well, and the good news was you worked for a company that the, the guy who owned it and his name was on it said that, you know, elevators, you, you should never wait longer than a minute. That yeah. was his own personal rule. Yep. 
And in that, it was like the trains running on time in Italy. And, and when Ted Rogers said the elevator should be there, the elevator should be there because it's not, a, it's a waste of time otherwise. Well, yeah, they had this technology that they put in there to try and make this work and it doesn't really. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but every once in a while, you, every once in a while, you, you would be, the music would be started, the wide shot in the studio. Well, and I Brent, wasn't there. Brent and I would turn and look at each other. They'd say, you want to go? Nope. Do you want to go? Nope. What are we going to do? We're going to wait for Bob. It's Bob's show. And then you'd hear the. Yeah, I'd run down the hallway sometimes. <laughs> that to me was, no, that, was this, worth, that was worth its weight in gold. Well, mind you, this was after <laughs> Ted Rogers passed away and they didn't care about the elevator anymore. Oh, no, but that was really, that was always fun because we would All turn right. and look at each anyway, other. Anyway, let me get back to my point because I had a point here that I'm going to forget. Okay. So <laughs> this show is pre recorded. What? Yeah, when you get it, it's already been nurtured and edited and. Well, it's not edited. Once in a while, it is. But it takes us an hour or so to, uh, or two for Hugh, our producer, to um, uh, do whatever he has to do, and then we distribute it. And if you're listening on Sirius XM, um, they get it sometime in the afternoon and uh, air it at 6 o'clock at night. On and Channel 167. Because yeah. our guest today is Alex Anthopoulos the general manager of the Atlanta Braves, uh, a team that has won 14 consecutive games as of this moment. <laughs> but they may be playing, winning or losing, uh, in Chicago while you're listening to this or watching this. So they will have won. Or, the Cubs are brutal. Or it might be over by now. The Cubs but we are don't brutal. Know. Yeah, but... I got news for you. It's baseball. It's baseball, yeah. Anything the, can happen. But the Braves game. have won 14 in a row. They, are, they have been spectacular. Uh, they have uh, got themselves out of their funk earlier than they did last year. Uh, and uh, and uh, Alex, Alex didn't want to uh, – uh, he didn't mind, doesn't have superstitions about doing things like this. And so he's, uh, he's sitting with us this morning to, uh, to do the show. There you go. So – I just want to alert people that it's impossible for us to be time sensitive in this uh, case. And I don't know what will come up in the conversation, but uh, it may very well. Well, and truth be told, Bob, you want to go for some exercise. I can do that at any point in time. Oh, I could do that right now and just leave you sitting here. Well, no, we'd go to commercial. What if we don't have a commercial? We go anyway. <laughs> Where do we go? Have you figured that one out? Hotshot executive producer. Uh, I, I, oh, I've got a promotion. I, oh, to executive producer? Yeah. Only because I called Hugh producer earlier. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Well, let's get, let's get going because Alex is waiting. All right. Let's get, uh, get at it. He has uh, been, a, been a friend for a decade. Um, the former general manager of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, now the world champion, Atlanta Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, when we come back after this. McCowan and Shannon with you and uh, along with us, the managing general of the uh, Atlanta Braves. World champion, world champion Atlanta Braves. I was going to get to that. Oh. And I think everybody knows Alex Anthopoulos is uh, with us. I don't know. Did we talk after the World Series? I can't remember. Yes, we did. We did didn't we? Yeah, I don't remember either. I don't, but I do know this: that you're the only person that calls me the managing general, and it definitely it brings back my my Blue Jays days. So it's kind of nice to hear hear it again. Well, if if I didn't, I'm sure I congratulated you. So, uh, but congratulations once again. Thank you very much. Uh, um, and it, it's not surprising to me, Anthopolis, that of course uh, you waited till your team had won 14 in a row before you agreed to talk to us again. <laughs> That's right. You know, when we, were dead, when we were under 500, you kept asking. I kept hand-checking. <laughs> and then, John, we're in the middle. We're maybe eight wins, nine wins. I'm like, this would be a great time to come on. <laughs> hey, I used, to do the same thing. I used to do the same thing when we were back in Toronto together. Oh, I know. You don't have to tell me, pal. I know, <laughs> I know exactly how this thing works. Um, I'm always intrigued when you're in the middle of something like this. And not every team goes through anything. I mean, this is pretty long. Um, but you win five or six in a row. And I'm always intrigued. Can you sense what the difference is? I mean, I know it's basically on the field, but do you have an inside the, the, the room, inside the, the, the stadium? 
Do you have a sense of, of, of a difference when this is happening? You know, uh, I mean, look, there's no doubt. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> you know, to give people some perspective on when you're running a sports team, after you lose a tough game, the next morning you wake up and you're kind of reminded of it, and it's a bad feeling. And if you're really in a bad funk, you know, you lose five in a row, six in a row, seven in a row, you wake up and you say, I wish we had an off day today because you don't want to play. Now, that's just from a front office standpoint. You absolutely feel that way. Uh, you just, you know, you'll never come out and say media-wise, but you feel like, are we ever going to win again? And you know that everything starts to build and mount. When you're winning a lot of games in a row, you can't wait for the game to start. So we have our, our, our game today, um, and I'm excited to watch because we've been winning and we've been playing well. But, you know, I'd say the room, for the most part, we didn't have people say panic and things like that. Even when we weren't playing that well, we weren't worried. And I think it's something I've talked about before. I didn't pay attention to this stuff in Toronto early on, and then I did it at the end. Just making sure you have the right guys in, in the room. Because we had some clubs in Toronto when things didn't go well. You know, maybe the makeup of the room was not the best, and people start pointing fingers, making excuses. Things start to leak in the media. And it just becomes a toxic environment. When you have a pretty good room, even when things go poorly, the floor doesn't cave in. You don't have any of that stuff. Yeah, you're not happy. No one's blaring the music after games. But you don't feel like the floor is going to cave in and it becomes a, a really bad environment. So our environment, for the most part, feels the exact same. Obviously, there's more music after games more often um, and people are in a good mood. But it's pretty similar. And I think that's more of a credit to the guys that we have. How do you, um, how do you know if you have a good room or a bad room if you just keep winning? Because winning solves everything, doesn't it? <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I think that's where you have to do it ahead of time. So... You know, we were, you know, I, I do obviously tons of stuff in Atlanta and, you know, we're three games under 500, four games under 500. We're not playing well. Expectations coming off the World Series. We were a much more talented club than we were playing. Um, and I got questions of, is this an issue with the culture? Is it we don't have, we lack someone to lead? All those things. And I think my response at the time was, I understand those questions are going to come up when you don't play well. Everything's fair game. People want an answer. Right. And I remember I remember David Price when he was in Toronto, he put a sign up over his locker and he said, if you don't like it, pitch better. Well, if you don't like the questions, or you don't like the scrutiny, play better. Right. So um, I think at the time I basically said, I don't think that, that's an issue at all. Um, I actually felt our room was a strength. So, yes, I've been around clubhouses that maybe don't have the best group of guys that once they win, it does make everything go away and you're winning. Everything's fine. But the minute you hit a rut, which almost every team will at some point, that's when all the stuff starts to, to come out. So, um, you know, the other thing, too, this is a year 11 for me as a GM. And um, I, I think I've been humbled so much. I've been through so much that I know how quickly all this stuff can change. Um, and we can go lose five, six, seven in a row as well. So um, even though we're playing, we're playing the Cubs here, we have the Giants the following week with L.A., with the Dodgers after that. And it's going to be a tough stretch. So. Um, you just try to stay even keel, but even when you're winning, you're, you're still looking at who's performing well, who isn't. You're looking for things to worry about. Um, even if you're playing well, you're still thinking, is the bullpen good enough? Is the <laughs> offense good enough? Is the rotation good enough? So it, it's been fun, but um, I think the room, I think the work starts before we put the team together, knowing that the guys we bring in are quality guys. It's just, it, before Bob jumps in, when, when you're talking about the offseason, you're talking about lots of questions, and you, then all of a sudden you're under 500. How many questions were about Freddie Freeman? Uh, some. I think more of the questions were, which is fair. He was here 12 years and definitely was the face of the team. Um, and people would say, look, is that why we're not winning? Um, and look, it's fair. It's fair that people are going to look for answers. And what I would say to that and what I did say to that, which is, which is the, the truth, is one person doesn't make the team. He's amazing. He's an MVP candidate. He was a huge part of our, our success, no doubt about it. Plays every day, leads by example. But um, you know, the one thing we've seen in our sport more than any other is one player will not make or break a team. Or if you're built that way, you're probably not built well. Um, I think in the NBA, it's different. You can have a guy play 48, 48 minutes a night on the floor and really take over a game. I don't know enough about the NHL to tell you how important it is if one guy will make or break a team. But in our sport, I mean, Fre Freddie Freeman was a, an electric player the whole time he was here. The years prior to me being here, he was still an all-star MVP caliber player. They lost 90 games three years in a row, and that's not because of him. Um, but the point is that one player, he only has four at-bats. He can only field so many ground balls. He can't pitch. He can't do all those other things. So um, I understood that it might go there, and I, that's part of it. But we need to have a deep team. We need to have 
strength all over the place in order for us to win games. I know there was a lot of talk of, well, we won the World Series without without a guy like Ronald Acuna. Of course, losing a guy like that is huge. But if your team is really built on one guy, that if he doesn't play well or if he gets hurt, I just feel like you probably didn't do a good job putting the club together. With Alex Anthopoulos. So we got into a conversation, AA, um, I don't know, the last few days, maybe last week. And the question was asked, and I think I'm pretty sure I asked it. You know, there's a notion that success breeds success in sports. And I started applying that to baseball in my head. Uh, and the part of the, and the reason I think it's important to ask you is because, you know, you guys have won 14 in a row. Um, we're, we're, by the way, we are doing this, having this conversation in the morning. It's a damn afternoon game in Chicago. Yeah. Right. Um, Blue Jays have won something like 15 out of 20. Um, their pitching was starting pitching was great at the beginning of the year. They couldn't score any runs. Now the offense has started to come. Um, I'm, I'm sure you have the same kind of situation in winning 14 in a row. There are parallels there, but pitching is an individual thing. Can the success of one starting pitcher impl- impact on another starting pitcher? Can an, a sport as individual as baseball is, it's a team sport, but it's essentially nine guys individually operating. Do you, do you believe success breeds success in baseball? I want to say yes, but if I'm just thinking about it now, as you're asking the question, I don't ultimately, I don't totally buy into it. Now I think there's something to it where I hear guys talk all the time, especially in the rotation, they try to one up each other, right? They're having success. So you would think they're competitive and they want to do it regardless. But I just think if you don't have the talent or you're not a good starter, um, you, <clears throat> you're not going to be able to win those games. So you know, when, you, when you talk about that now and us winning this many games in a row, I think it does coincide to our starting rotation. I've said this uh, a few days ago to somebody else. This is, my, this is year five for me in, in Atlanta. And you know we won the four divisions in a row prior to that. And I feel like this is the best rotation that we've had, one through five. Um, and I feel like this is the first time that we've had five guys. Now, I hope they all stay healthy, of course. We're not, we don't have to move the, ro- the rotation around. We would do that when we would face teams in our division. We have a series with the Mets upcoming or the Phillies. We might move some things around to get our best starters to face those teams. We feel so good about the five that we have now that we're just going to let those guys continue to roll and stay on turn. Now, you have guys that every day you feel good about giving you a chance to win games with a, what we view as a strong, deep bullpen. This is where you can get these streaks. And even though it's year 11 for me as a GM and I know the importance of starting pitching and rotations. Um, I think this season and right now is highlighting to me the importance of five for the season. Because a lot of times you go in, you have three, you have four, we'll, we'll get through, we'll find someone, we'll have a competition, we'll give it to a young guy. We're, we're open to it being a revolving door, but in a lot of ways, they're making the same amount of starts. And ultimately the impact on the bullpen and saving innings and so on. So I think you need the talent. Yes, can they one-up each other and can success help? Yes, but if four guys are strong and the fifth guy's not as strong, I don't think all of a sudden starter five is going to do well. We've had that for years where we had a young guy that wasn't ready. We had to move guys in and out of that five spot for years. And now we're in a position that we feel really good about all five, and it's coincided with us turning our year around. Are you at all surprised by the Mets' performance? Because they're the team you're chasing. You're four and a half back as we talk now. No, um, in terms of I felt they were always a better team, even last year. Um, we go through the clubs, you know, again, we respect all the teams, obviously in the division and worry about them, but I thought the Mets last year were outstanding and they underperformed, obviously what they were under 500, but they were much more talented at that. And they had a lot of guys hurt. Now what's more impressive this year is two of their frontline starters in the Grom and Max Scherzer. Now Scherzer did start the year with them, but to lose those guys for a lot of starts, still do what they're doing is incredible. I mean, they've done tremendous work there. Um, look, they've always been a very good team, a very ta- talented team. Uh, but I've always said this at the same time. We really don't pay attention a lot to the other teams. We're aware of what they're, they're doing. But even when we weren't playing well, our thought was we need to get our own things going. We need to get our house in order. Our offense wasn't there. The rotation, we had a, the five spot was in, inconsistent. We were two and 10 before we put a young guy, Strider, in there. It was doing a great job for us. Um, and the bullpen was being impacted because our five spot was only going to two innings or three innings, and then we were killing our bullpen. So I felt like once we get our team in order and it, we, we get things right on our end, the rest should take care of itself. And, and now you have the added playoff spot. You don't have the 
as the same concern of having a one game wild card. You do get a series if you're one of six. Yeah, sure, you might be on the road, but you, you still get a potential three three game series. So winning the division is clearly important. We want to do it, but it doesn't guarantee anything. We won it four in a row. Two of those years we got bounced in round one. The other two, we went to the NLCS and then obviously the World Series. So I think you need to get in and knowing that you're not leaning on one game, um, it certainly helps for the year. And we're just going to worry about ourselves and hopefully the wins will come. And we want to just be able to get in, obviously win the division, but being in is the most important thing. You certainly make it pretty obvious that even though you did win the World Championship, or sorry, the World Series, Bob, you did win the World Series, uh, you can't ever rest on your laurels, can you? No, I, I mean, you know, or is, there, or is there more pressure? Yeah, I would. You know what? I got to tell you, I think the pressure feels the same. I was telling uh, some people in the offseason that people are like, oh, you win the World Series and that's it. You're set. And, and look, it's great in that moment. Right. And that I'd say for that week, um, you win the World Series, you're doing interviews, you're getting texts and emails. And it's really nice. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone's excited. You have the parade, which was incredible. Um but you realize that once that happens, it's over and it's on to the next. And if you don't perform, no one said, I learned this last year when we started out slowly, we had won three divisions in a row and all of a sudden things aren't going well. We're not playing well. No one said, ah, you know what? Why don't we give the front office a pass? They've won three divisions in a row. They're allowed to have a, a down year. You're going to be criticized. There's expectations. It's just, that's just the way sports are. So I don't view it, you know, as much as you'd like to think, well, you won a world series, you're all, you're all set. I still operate, I guess, with a, an amount of fear. Um, and it's not fear for employment or financial, things like that. I'd say it's more fear to produce. And, you know, whether it's your ego, pride, you know, these jobs are out there for everybody to see, right? You know, my kids will get asked about it at school. I have to go face our employees. I have to go to the store. Um, and when the team's not good or the product isn't good, it's on you. At least I feel that way. And you're, a bit, you're certainly embarrassed. Um, I remember there were times in Toronto uh, you know, my wife would ask me to go get cauliflower or something at the Loblaws down the street. And I'd put on my, my cap real low and my jacket or whatever it was. Or, and, um, you know, you'd figure no one's going to come up to you and people still come up to you. And you're like, hey, bad game last night or rough game last night. And, you're, and you realize, sure, but you realize it's the, the club is important. It's important to everybody else. Um, but I, I think I've learned over time. Um, you cannot rest on your laurels ever. I think things can change quick. You don't perform. I think they're going to have, you know, they'll make changes and that, that's, that, that's the way it should be. Is cauliflower the go-to vegetable in your house? I'm just interested. Yeah. You know what? She's, she's pretty good with our kids in terms of the health and things like that. And, you know, you know, the thing too is when you're not playing well, you're not dying to go out there, right? You're not dying to go drop your kids off at day, daycare back then at that age. And, um, you're going to get questions and it's part of it. And you're definitely going to go do media. You're getting the Bob McCowns of the world calling you to be on the show. And, um, you know, you're going to get ripped, but it's part of the gig. And I don't take offense to it. I understand it's not, it, no matter who's in these chairs, that's just the way it works. And it's sports. And there's a lot of people that they, they, they lean on you. They, they rely on you and you're expected to win. So I don't think it changes if you win a world series or if you make, make the playoffs, um, I think 2022 is a standalone year. We're expected to be competitive. If we're not, I'm going to have to answer a lot of questions regardless. Yeah. But by the way, if you go to the grocery store, don't you shouldn't have worn the Jays hat. You should have worn the Expos hat. <laughs> but actually, I put on the uni and everything, spikes, all of it. So. <laughs> well, hang on a second. No, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, because I can't let this get away. I do not want to turn this into a cooking show. We are not on the Food Network. <laughs> no, what does she make? Have you ever had mashed potatoes made out of cauliflower? Well, they're not mashed potatoes. That sounds very good. Well, no, I saw this on television the other day, and I thought, well, that sounds interesting because I'm not a biggest cauliflower fan, but I don't hate them. And apparently you just mash them all up, and you, you it, they produce a – it's like mashed potatoes, but it's made entirely out of cauliflower. So there's a there's a cooking tip for your bride. See, see yeah, the, healthy, yeah. the healthiest thing I get to is I have the cauliflower-crusted pizza. Oh, so, wow, that's not bad either. You know, bad. See, in our family, it's an alternative to broccoli for the kids. They're yeah. not <laughs> so, well, welcome to the club. So, um, I'm just you know, eleven years as a general manager, the gap between you are with the Dodgers. Yeah. What, what 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 did you carry from your Dodger time to Atlanta? What what did you was there an epiphany 
any type of epiphany from being with the Dodgers that you said, wow, I didn't know that, that I, you know, I was with the Jays and I, we didn't do that, or I didn't know that. Was there something that jumped out? Um, so I think I said this too. Um, so at the end of 2014 is when it kind of came to me. Um, we were playing the Orioles and they clinched the division on the field. And I still remember to this day where I was, where I was sitting, Adam Jones at a big Orioles flag running in the outfield. They had won the AL East. And um, it was year five. And we, you know, we had been competitive in 14, but we, we didn't have anybody at the trade deadline. I felt like I didn't, you know, save my money accordingly, whatever. But I just felt like I didn't pay. And I said, I'm going to give this one shot to really pay attention to make up character and building a team rather than a collection of players. And I really committed to it. And I had a conversation with Mark Burley in the offseason about it. And I said, you know, I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of this. We've got all these talented guys. We're not getting over the hump. I'm, I'm, I'm basically going to rip the Band-Aid off, and I'm going one direction. I'm not going to look back. So all of a sudden, we start to make moves. Um, I don't know the order of it, but, you know, we trade for Travis. Trade Anthony goes for Travis. We trade Lind for Estrada. We trade for Donaldson. We sign Martin. And I remember um, uh, Burley sending me a text saying, wow, you weren't, this was not a joke. You were dead serious about it. And even um, we had an opportunity to make some trades in spring training that, that year. Um, really, you know, from a need standpoint, um, and I didn't do it because I was sticking with character, makeup, things like that. And it was someone that would have fit us so well. We were trading a ba- backup player for a guy that would come in and pitch really important innings for us. But um, I didn't want to do it because I was going to stick with it. And that turned things around for me. And I, I, and I carried it through, through the trade deadline and so on. And even my end of season press conference before I was, before I left, um, I, I think I said it. I, th- I said, I finally think I'm starting to hit my stride. Same way a player would maybe who's up and down getting optioned and so on. I think I'm finally feel like I'm starting to hit my stride as a gym. And I really felt that way. Like I'm finally starting to get this thing. I finally found it. It took me a while, but I found what I, was going to work for me. And I feel really good about it. And it wasn't a fluke. I felt that we had success and so on. So uh, going to LA, um, I think having that experience helped a ton, but I think the biggest thing, uh, they were obsessive about the 40 man roster and all 40 players, you know, and we're in Toronto. The one thing I probably didn't pay as much attention to is I was more worried about at the time, 25 on, on the field. Yes. Of course you're worried about your bench and things like that, but not as much as I, I needed to. And I didn't appreciate as much that look, guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to have down year, down years. And the next line of defense, the next group that's going to get at bats, the next group that's going to get innings, that's critically important to get you into the postseason. So obviously the playoffs, anything can happen and so on. But, you know, obviously you're always managing a 40-man roster. All 30 teams are. But the emphasis on it and the importance of it, uh, I just became a little bit more aware of that. Mm-hmm. And then coming to Atlanta, again, in my view, it was a continuation of what I'd learned really. End of 14, going into 2015, just two years of experience in L.A. as well. But I really felt like at the end of 15, like I'm getting this. I feel like I'm starting to hit my stride as a GM. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes, not going to have bad decision-making at times, um, you know, not make the playoffs. You obviously hope those things are going to work out. But I learned a lot about myself and the experience, and I'm really grateful that I was able to, to get that experience. Uh, we got to take a quick break. Alex Anthopoulos is with us, and uh, we'll continue after these messages. Bob McCowan, it's John Shannon, Alex Anthopoulos, the GM of the um, – Atlanta Braves, the world champion Atlanta Braves is uh, with us. Um, a couple of things that relate to your team, but more to the sport in general. But, but first, uh, Atlanta is an interesting sports town and an interesting baseball town. It's not that attendance is bad there, but we often look and have looked in the past and dating back to the 90s, um, there are times where there are big games playoff games, World Series games in Atlanta that haven't been sold out, which would be almost unthinkable in a lot of other places. I'm wondering what the reaction to last year's World Series championship has meant for attendance so far this year. Anything? Yeah, that's a great thing. So one thing I felt like even going to L.A. here, I'm big on getting a sense of your community and your surroundings. I remember when we just moved to Atlanta, get up in the morning, my wife's watching Good Morning America or something like that. In the morning, I said, why aren't we watching the local news? You know, we're trying to, we just moved to this community. We're trying to get a feel for it. We should watch the local news and our fan base and our fans and just the community and so on. In the same way, I was listening to talk radio. 
just to get a sense of the teams and so on. And one thing that struck me, because I thought the same thing as you, I remember some of those Braves games that they didn't sell a playoff game. You know, they won 14 divisions in a row. And you heard those, those, you know, you heard all those things. So I had that in my mind coming into Atlanta. Now, um, it's not that. Now, I will say this. What struck me, uh, my, the first year that I was here, um, I remember the Falcons had come up. They had gone to the Super Bowl, I think, in 2016 or 2017. And 2018, they had gotten off to a slow start. And I think midway through the year, someone out had, had put a photo out of, of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And it was half full. And they weren't far removed from being really good. They had made the playoffs the year prior, Super Bowl two years prior to that. And I was like, wow, ju just like that, it looked like they weren't going to make the playoffs. No one's going to the games. Brand new, beautiful stadium, really good team that had been good, that had a rough year. And what it told me, no one told me this, was we need to be, in my mind, we need to be a c competitive team, a relevant team every year because there's a lot of other things to do here. The climate's great. There's a lot, lot to do. And, look, we've been good the four years that I've been here now, year five, and hopefully we're going to stay good for year, year five. But I will say this. It's not what I thought it was. It's a lot better. Uh, we were second in MLB in attendance la la last year, which is incredible, the 30 clubs. Uh, I think we're top three in the current. Um, we do really well. So I think it's changing. It's the same way. I remember Paul Beeson telling me in Toronto, you watch when we start winning and we're going to get good. You're going to see this place is going to be filled up. And I hadn't seen it, right? When I first got to Toronto in, in 2004, I hadn't seen it. And he was right. Once we started turning around, it was crazy. You know, the TV ratings were crazy. I was thinking, you know, you have the Leafs, you have the Raptors and so on. And um, I didn't think we'd ever get there. And we did. And in Atlanta, the same way, I, think, I don't think attendance was all that high prior to. And all of a sudden now we're going to push three, three million fans and, and, and all those things. So I, I'm sure the World Series helps. But even prior to that, we were doing really, really well. Um, I think it's a credit to the ballpark that they built here, the surrounding area. Obviously, having a competitive team certainly helps. But it's a great sports town. And, you know, me and my son now have become, you know, fans of the NBA with, with the Hawks. Uh, we go to NFL games together. We line up. It's just a great environment. So um, we're pretty immersed here. Uh, but it's definitely not what it was. I think it's changed. I think the city, from what I've been told, has changed a lot over the last few years. It's just it's growing. It's just there's a lot of. There's a lot of going on in Atlanta right now, and it's really starting to boom. You like the uh, you like the fact that the uh, the DH is in the National League as well now. You happy? So I was I was anti DH for a long time. I like the fact that if you wanted to play a bad defender, or you wanted to get a bat in the lineup who was a bad defender, you had to pay a tax on it. You know, you had to suffer at some point, whether it was the infield or the outfield, you would be impacted by that. Then 2020 comes around, we get the DH, and it was nice. You know, guy has a bad hammy, a bad quad, but can still hit. You can't play those guys. And, you know, you kind of get sick of watching some of those guys hit that they're not practicing. They're not very good at it. So I flipped. I like the DH now. I like the opportunity it gives our guys to get to get them off their feet, to keep guys in the lineup. I think it's good for the game. It's good for the, for the fans. So I was against it, uh, but I'm 100% I'm for it now. I think it's great. Does, does it make your job easier? Um, I, You know what? I, no in the sense of – so the biggest thing for me was – you know, I have a certain amount of money to work with in the off season and you never had a DH, right? But now I need to fill another spot in the lineup, right? It's, it's a nine hole hitter or, you know, what, not necessarily a guy hitting ninth, but I have to worry about eight position players. So now I have to worry about nine. So that's another chunk of money that I have to allocate. I could have put it to the rotation. I could have put it to the bull, bullpen. So I never had to worry about that spot, right? We just had a guy on, on, on the bench. Now I need to have an everyday player. So from a financial standpoint, building the club, it had an impact. There's an, there's an opportunity cost in the dollars. Mm -hmm. um, but you like the ability to move guys around, get them in the lineup. Like I said, if guys get banged, banged up and so on. Um, you're probably a little young to have experienced this, but when the DH first came in, and I'm sure you know this, almost invariably every American League team went out and tried to find a guy to be the DH. A grizzled old veteran. Yep. Some guy couldn't play anymore because it still hit. Tony Oliva. Almost, almost exclusively, that's who filled the DH role. Over a period of a number of years, that philosophy sort of dissolved to the point now where there are very few. I'm trying to think of any. I guess there are some. Um, guys who are just DHs, who don't play in the field uh, it, at all or rarely at least. 
And that DH has become that kind of extra offensive spot. So if you've got four outfielders, five outfielders, you know, one of them, one of them winds up as the DH that night here in Toronto, often it's the backup catcher. Um, how do you feel about that? What, what, what's the best philosophy in your mind? Yeah. So I used to be open to it, right? I remember David Ortiz and Edgar Martinez and guys like that. And I think where I first was exposed to what it does jam you up on the roster a little bit. When we had Frank Thomas in Toronto, you know, you know that that's the only spot. And what if someone else gets hot and you can't get him in the lineup? And now you have a guy that's purely a DH. You can't move him anywhere else on the field. It becomes challenging and prob problematic that you're locked into one spot. We see it all the time. Young kid who wants to come up or someone else you need to get at bats. The ability to move guys around on the field is just huge. When guys get hurt, you need to move th things around. Obviously, every single player can play DH. So when you have a, a guy, and a lot of times it's like you said, it's an older player, but an established guy, you're probably paying them a good salary. And all they can do is DH, you're going to play them, but it takes away opportunities for other players that might have earned playing time or someone who maybe needs to DH and get a day off his feet. You can't do that. So just from a roster building standpoint, it doesn't mean you won't do it if you have an Ortiz type and so on. But that's a consideration where you're like, okay, is this guy good enough that we're really going to landlock ourselves into one person the entire time? Because obviously that player, that you're not hitting for anybody for the most part now that you have the DH. You know, if he's not starting, he's sitting on your bench. That guy probably is not going to be able to go run. He's definitely not going to be able to – you're not using him to go from a defensive replacement. So – it's very hard on the manager, I think, and, and the bat has to be so big in my mind yeah. that I got a DH and DH only, and those guys are hard to find. Mm -hmm. I know you. I know you got to go, but with with that in mind, when you guys do sit down and go through your roster, do, do you justify a guy playing 140 games? Because nobody's going to play 162 anymore. What's the I, magic number? I totally agree with that. So oh. I I've learned the value in my mind. I'm big on games played. Uh, it's something that it took me time to, uh, to value and to appreciate it. It's a stat I look at. I, you know, I value it. So if a guy plays 158, 160, 162, I'm all in. So I understand rest and recovery and so on. Of course, we're going to watch that. We're going to listen to our trainers and so on. I think there's a, there's a mentality to it. There's a reason that Mark Burley didn't go on the IL. There's a reason Nick Markakis, when we had him in Atlanta, played, played every day. We had guys like Kurt Suzuki. You know, he caught a ton of games early on in his career and he played I think there's a mentality there's a durability a me mental uh, capacity to be tough and grind um that I think does lend itself to that so Josh Donaldson used to talk about this all all the time he used to talk about the sixth tool and at the time when we had gotten him I don't think he had spent a day on the IL he played a lot of games and that was a lot of big part of the process you know we traded more than Brett Laurie but you know Brett Laurie was a really talented player but he would just get get hurt and it wasn't his fault just things seemed to happen freak injuries and so on and being available, and that's where you talk about your 40-man roster. Guys are going to miss games. You have to start projecting who's going to take those at-bats, who's going to take th those innings. The guy's going to play 110, 120. Well, someone else is going to play the 40-plus games. Are they good enough? Are they good players? Are they going to add? That's going to impact you in, in, in the, the win total. So I'm all for guys playing there every day. Um, I was more leery of it in the past, uh, but I'm the opposite now. As long as our trainers feel good and our players feel good, I like guys that'll get close to 162. Last quick one for me, and then we'll let you go. Um, you a proponent of uh, keeping the shift, allowing it, or would you like to see it abolished? You know, so I've gone back and forth on this. I like the strategic side of it. Um, you know, it's just fun strategically to plan and so on. It's a lot of work, um, both internally with your analytics department, then you have to get with your coaches, and then you have to get with your players, especially your starters and your relievers. They have to feel good about it. So David Price, for example, when he returned on, just didn't want the shift, and he was good enough, and all right, David, whatever you want. You know, he's good, good he doesn't need it. So um, I think eliminating it will make everyone's life a lot easier, strategically and so on, positioning for your coaches and your players. Um, and I do think it'll probably be good for the game um, in terms of getting more hits and so on. A guy, you know, ends up hitting the ball really hard, especially a left-handed hitter to the pull, pull side. Uh, those balls should be hits. And, you know, we're not doing, you know, my son plays nine and, and they don't do shit shifting right now. So you're growing up and learning the game a certain way. And then all of a sudden you get to the pros and it, and it changes. They don't shift when you're nine and 10, 11 years old. So I think having one form of, of the game, having infielders, I'm a proponent of the, the change, but while it's here, I do enjoy it from a strategic standpoint. 
Uh, we won't keep you. We know you're busy, but you, you got things to do. It's great to see you and great to have an opportunity to chat again. Uh, wish you good luck the rest of the year. Um, I don't, I presume you won't win all of the rest of your games, but I cannot say that yeah. uh, with definitive uh, uh, reasoning or cause. Um, thanks, pal. We'll talk all to right. you again. Really glad to be on. Alex Anthopoulos, we'll come back after these messages. Well, our thanks to um, Double A, Alex Anthopoulos, for uh, joining us on the program. I'll tell you what, he's he's always so accommodating. Every time I send a note, well, he is not. Oh, he is. Yeah, he yeah. may answer, but he doesn't come on. Really? When was the last time you asked him to come on? <laughs> I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, that's right. By uh, the way, by the way, you know, you you asked him about, you know, the 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 fan base and the strange thing that Atlanta is as far as what happens with uh, teams being covered and you know apathy yeah. from the fans. The Braves were one of the few few teams that did the exact opposite of what most teams have tried to do in the last 15 years. Which everybody, is- everybody else has tried to move downtown put their stadium downtown put their stadium at that central location well the braves moved to the suburbs it was the weirdest thing and it worked magnificently now i have not spent a lot of time in atlanta not enough to know the city but is it like (laughs) is it like most inland u.s cities where there's a highway system that circumvents the entire belt a beltway yeah no it is i tell you what I, i I've been to most major U.S. cities, spent lots of time in most major U.S. cities. The worst traffic in the history of mankind. Atlanta? Atlanta. Worse than San Francisco. Really? Oh, yeah. Not San worse Francisco. than L.A. L.A.'s not bad, Bob. LA's oh, you're nuts. Bad. No, it's not bad. You just have to pick your times. Atlanta, you can't pick your times. Atlanta, it's awful all the well, time. Well, you have to pick your times. What it, what it means basically is... Any time from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m., you can't get into the city. And any time from 3 p.m. till 8 p.m., you can't get out of the city. Atlanta makes Los Angeles look like Kitchener. Well, um, it, it, Atlanta is a tough traffic city. The t- I think the toughest in North America. Is the ballpark near? I've never, I haven't been to the new ballpark. Is it near an expressway? I'm sure it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's out. It, it truly is out in. In a, well, in, I got to tell the, you, in the north, I think the northeast suburbs, northwest if, suburbs. Sorry, I, I'm interested in your perspective on this because I've I felt like I stood alone on this mountain for a long time. I hated the idea of building the Sky Dome downtown or the Rogers Center downtown, and I think I've been proven right. Did you see Shapiro? They're, they're, they want to close Lakeshore or something uh, this weekend. And Shapiro's basically begging them. Like, the traffic is going to be so bad to get to the Yankee series Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. That, you know, now you're going to close one of the major arteries into the downtown area and out. I mean. Take the train. Well, you take the train. Not everybody can get to the train. You got to take. Some people have to take two buses to get to the train. Between the subway, if but you can drive your car, Bob. Take your car, park it, park it. Uh, When's the last time you did that? I do it all the time. You do not. I do. I do. Well, Particular. I no, take the train. I'm not park, getting on a park train. It, between the subway system and the and and the the government Ontario Go train system. It's pretty good, Bob. If it's I'm going to good. Ottawa or Montreal, I'm happy to take. By the, the train. way, it's the only way. The train now, to me, is the only way in Toronto, and I'm, you know, everybody outside of Toronto won't give a shit about this. The only, it's the only way to go to exhibition. It's the only way to go to Beemo Field. Take the train, because that's a pain. That's well, a pain to go there. To, you know, now they're going to spend allegedly two hundred fifty million dollars to fix up the dome. Well, it's not allegedly; they've already committed it. Well, have they started spending? No. Wait, just wait. You know. Okay. All right. Hey, so did you watch the basketball game last night? Well, yeah. I was going to finish my thought. Oh. They should have rebuilt the stadium at Downsview. Oh, no. no down, where, and, uh, the traffic oh. there is awful. No. Oh, Bob. You got highway right there. There's a oh, highway God. right there. You, you know, our buddy. Gardner uh, is better than the 401? Oh, no, no, the, I know the, the 401, 401 is, is fine. Is the 401's fine. World's largest highway. It's fine. Well, 
And you got the 400, 400 is right there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not. And you got you. the subway line going north. I, I'm not south into the I'm city. not with you. I down, downs view. I, I just, know I, I hate it. I hate it. I do. I just hate it. I hate that idea. I hated that idea when you had it 20 years ago. Well, too bad. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Um, I'd rather, I read, would have rather gone to Woodbine. If you're going to go outside, go outside. It's not bad. I, I, Woodbine isn't a bad idea. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, what did you, what were you going to interrupt us with? Did, the bas- did you watch the basketball last night? Well, of course I watched the basketball game. What? Of no, course. You, you had uh, watched the, uh, uh, watched some golf in the afternoon and basketball at night. Watched what golf and baseball in the afternoon and then um, the basketball game. The, the, that juggernaut Baltimore Orioles, huh? I actually watched a little bit of the football game too. You didn't know there was a football game? Argos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. I watched that too. I have multiple televisions. They did everything they possibly could to lose that football game. The organizers and, and Montreal would not let them. <laughs> and they and, they and missed the like would... a one-yard field goal. I know. Like yeah. you can't even have a one-yard field goal. Yeah. This was the shortest field goal I've ever seen missed. No, there had been shorter. Come on. I think it was an eleven-yard field goal attempt. I don't. <laughs> you think? I don't think it was that short. Yeah, I think it was. I think they were on the four-yard line. And they lined up. That's an eleven-yard field goal attempt. Because remember, the, you could have made that. You could have made that. No, no, no. I couldn't have. Eleven-yard field goal. Yeah. Looked it. Wasn't even close. Yeah. Anyway. So. So yes, so I did watch the basketball game. So now congratulations to Golden State, who we both I think predicted. Yeah. Would win. So they've been to the the NBA Finals six times in eight years. And the other two years, they didn't even make the playoffs. And one of the years, they had the worst record in, the, in basketball. Are they a That's dynasty? Are they a dynasty? No. Wow. Have they won three in a row? No, they haven't. They haven't. And that's... Uh, uh, but it, uh, I, was, I was thinking about now, this How many time. wins is this? Four? This is four for that group of guys, yeah. Right. Four in eight years. Yes. Yeah. Not a dynasty. Yeah. Well, and, and in fact, one of the years that they lost in the finals... Was the year they had they had the best record in the history of the of the NBA? The year they won seventy three games. I'll tell you why it's not a dynasty. Because uh, yeah. they are not really subject to salary cap. Well, it's a soft cap in the NBA. It's a soft cap, yeah. and you they in essence could. Keep so you think the rules are different in the NBA than the other than than in the in the NHL? Then I think it's much tougher in the NHL. Don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Because you got a hard cap and you got to make decisions. And invariably, what happens after you win a championship? Every player on that team wants a raise. Every player if, on if that team wants a raise. Up, if their contracts well, are up. Yeah. There's invariably going to be two, three, four contracts up. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't you can't give them all the raise. So you got to get rid of some guys. Look at what look at what Tampa's gone through. They have changed their fourth line, what, twice now? Basically. So, yeah, but well, no, really once. I mean, uh, Blake Blake Coleman and uh, and Barkley Goodrow were there for two. So, and then right. now, now they've got now they've they've replaced them with Nick Paul and uh, and Brandon Hagel. So, but you yeah. understand my point? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You got to make you win a championship. You can't keep everybody together. Yeah. In the NBA, theoretically, you can. Yeah. Now they lost Durant. But but, but Durant Durant wasn't there for the first one, Bob. No, he wasn't. He wasn't there for the, the first championship. He said, hey, they're winning. I want to go there. <laughs> no, and he didn't play, obviously, in the Toronto series. Well, he played minutes, a few minutes in the Toronto series. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, can I, I see the argument. I'm not definitive on it, but you asked me. For me, you got to win three in a row. The, the, the amazing- Even the New England Patriots. Yeah. And this one's much harder for me because as long as Golden State has been a success, New England has been a success for a lot longer. I'm actually glad you brought uh, the Patriots up because um, I, I said to somebody last night after the game, I said, just imagine, because the same thing happened with the Patriots before they got really good. Remember Bill Belichick took the job with the Jets and lasted a day? He, I remember he actually got hired by the Jets and then yeah, backed after out. Par, uh, with, with, uh, he, was, uh, he was tied to Parcells. Parcells, that's right. And he backed out and then got and got hired by the Patriots and you know, the rest is history. Steve Kerr was almost in the same boat. Steve Kerr 
was going to take the job with Phil Jackson at the Knicks. And I, so I said to a friend last night, I said, imagine if Steve Kerr had not taken the Warriors job. Yeah, would he have a job today? Would, well, will he, would he have been in the finals six times in eight years? Would this, I mean, Steve Kerr and their front office, Bob Myers is the general manager. They don't get enough credit for oh, what no. they have done. Kerr's the best coach in basketball, I think. And he, he reminds me of uh, our pal Cooper in uh, Tampa Bay, actually. In many ways. With his, with his yeah. demeanor and his style. And, and, and he's uh, a little more political than John is. I mean, you, Steve Kerr's not afraid to sit in front of the, uh, on the dais and, 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 and rip somebody for a political stance or for the gun violence in the United States. No, 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 no. I agree. He's, but he, he, he doesn't do much of that in terms of ripping oh, no, his right. own players or oh, other never. players. Ne or, never. No, no. You know, it's outside the scope of his job. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I it, to me, I, th those two things, the two teams that you say, well, this is a dynasty. This is a dynasty. I mean, history. You think, you think they're a dynasty? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. All right, six, fair. In in the new world, I think that when you're in the in, when you're in the championship series, eight is six times in eight years. Here's here's the explanation I will give you. Fifty years from now, people will look at a piece of paper and they'll see a list of the champions. And if you're not on that list, if your team isn't on that list at least three times in a row, yeah. you won't think you, you. They won't be able to remember the specifics. They'll just say, no, not a dynasty. Wow. I, you know, I, I understand. I respect that. But I'll tell you what, 50 years from now, we will still be talking about how great the Golden State Warriors were for a no, decade. John, John a there's decade. no chance of that. There's no chance of that. What, you, why? Because we're going to be dead? We'll be dead as yeah, well, doornails. <laughs> well, you 50 might. 50 years from now. You, you might be. As doornails. <laughs> you can take that one to the bank. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a million to one odds if you want to bet on it. Why, yeah, why you, you won't be around to pay up. I won't be around to pay, and you won't be around to collect. <laughs> okay, we got uh, go. to get out of here. Um, you have yourself a nice weekend, Mr. Do uh, not tell me what to do. No, okay. And um, we hope uh, our audience does, too. We'll be back on uh, Monday. Do you want to tell them who's coming on Monday? No. No? No. Really? All right. Yeah. Somebody good. For <laughs> Absolutely. A <change>. For <laughs> a change. Oh, yeah. Tell Anthopolis, uh, Anthopolis that. Well, yeah. today was an exception. Okay. You got to go. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.